Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Brennan Johnson. Into what's Richardson. Kulisevsky! Oh, he's there! What a header! 90th minute! Hello everybody and welcome once again to The View from the Lane, award-winning Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I'm Danny Kelly. With me today, The Athletic's Charlie Eccleshire and James Moore. Hello everybody. Uh, and on today's episode, we will try to pick the bones out of that mad 3-3 draw at the Etihad. And we'll take some of your questions, some of which pertain to that match and the, and the circumambient um, discussion about how Spurs play as well. I mean, I'll start with you, Charlie, because I, I know you had a tremendously difficult time um, between the weather and transportation problems getting to and from. Was it worth it? Yeah, well worth it. I wouldn't say problems. It's just a long way to go. And uh, yeah, so, um, you know, when you're traveling traveling in an electric vehicle, you know, doing your bit for the environment, not mine, I should add, um, you know, you've got to charge and all of that. But this is all boring logistics. It was well worth it. I, I was pleased because I feel like it, it was a game that, uh, a few weeks ago was so kind of eagerly anticipated and then as the builder it, it felt then going into it like oh this is really annoying it's not going to be the game that you know it could have been and should have been because Spurs have so many injuries etc uh, so in the end I mean it was an incredibly exciting game there I mean Spurs at the Etihad I know we've talked about their general record against City and, you know, we're thinking more the, the wins have tended to come at home. But in the last three seasons, they've scored three, two and three. I mean, that is amazing. I wonder who else has got close to eight in their last three visits to the Etihad. I'd be surprised if anyone had got, you know, half as many as that. What about Leipzig? They've played the, the last three seasons in the Champions League and they lost that first one six three. Premier League only, James. Okay. Well, you didn't, you didn't say that. It's assumed, unless specified. From that point of view, it's worth it to see... Um, poor old Pep Guardiola throw himself to the floor and do that kind of poor gymnastics. What did you make of the game overall? We'll get into the details in a second, James. What was your overall feeling? Yeah, it, it was great fun. I mean, it is it is incredible to see Spurs be the team that have kind of fried uh, Guardiola's brain the most. I was going to say Mourinho then. That might also be true, by the way, for different reasons. Yeah, I, I imagine like watching that great Barcelona team sort of, you know, late 2000s, early 2010s, all conquering the best club side ever. The idea that that guy would then come to the Premier League and just be like constantly thwarted by Spurs, like we're the kind of road runner to his Wiley Coyote. Uh, it is great fun every single time. I, I, honestly, I mean, I'd be lying if I said I was always entirely comfortable with the way Spurs played. No, we're not going to. I don't think we're going to go into math and detail on that again. Cause we've talked about it so many times, but I think it was the execution rather than the tactics that were the problem. And in individual moments, that there was definitely some sloppiness, but like the overall game plan, I think was completely justified. And we did talk about that last week. Like 
they didn't have the players available to sit back, even if they wanted to. One of us actually used the phrase, it has to be chaos for Spurs to get a result. Oh yeah, it was me. I think we're all in agreement with you as well. I think that yeah, we saw, we've seen that from recent games, that, 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 is, that is the best way to unsettle them. And Spurs did that. And I think that the most important thing through the game was when City were on top in the first half, once they'd got in front, that the Spurs heads didn't like they didn't go underwater. They just about clung on. Because I think if they'd gone two goals behind, I think it, the game would have been gone. And I think, you know, Spurs were completely out of it in terms of like the balance of play in the second half of the first half, the second quarter of the game. It only looked like it was going one way. But the first quarter of the game was just incredibly open end to end. And the second half, I think Spurs did so well. To, like, they really had a, like a solid foothold in that game for the most part. By the first couple of minutes when Charlie and I were messaging and saying, it's going to be 3-1 sooner rather than later. But from that point onwards, 48, 50 minutes, Spurs were like incredibly, uh, maybe not quite in control, but they certainly had a decent share of the control. And it was a really, really composed performance on that point. They were probably as as near to being in control as you can be at, at, at that ground against that team because they're always going to have the ball. They're always going to be doing things. They're always going to be testing your weaknesses. I realise now um, I've become, I, I've been trying to work out what, what what I've become on this podcast when I discuss Postacoglu. I've become Craig Revel Horwood, haven't I? Um, I'm a pantomime villain, but you have to do, report things that you see with your own eyes, whether people like it or not. Um, I thought it was an incredibly important result for Spurs that, that they hung on and got the equaliser. More about Kulusevski later for three reasons. Two of them, I'm a Spurs geek. I don't want to see them having a run of four defeats for the first time in 20 years. Uh, I don't want to see them equaling Sheffield United's 50-year-old record of taking the lead four times in the top level of English football and then losing the game. It's just it's against all statistical probability that you can do that, and they didn't do it. But most important. I was encouraged to see that the talk, um, which is for the for the media and maybe for, for consumption, uh, you know, uh, in, in, in public, um, that we will never change. It is, it is that it is just that that when the when push came to shove, the manager, bless him, saw that the team was being outplayed in one area of the pitch and made the change at halftime. It's not negative, uh, you know, to have. You can have too many attackers on the pitch. You can have too many defenders on the pitch. It's all about attitude. They kept going forward. The change of Hoiberg for Gill, anyone with an eye on their head could see, helped Spurs. Helped Spurs to get on the front foot when they could. Helped them to rotate the ball forward better than they had been doing and stopped them vacating the space in front of the two centre-halves, which at any level of football will kill you. So well done, the manager. And 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 there's nothing wrong with, with balance in a team. And you can still be as attacking as you want. Um, but you have to give yourself a platform which to play. Well, the approach remained the same, didn't it? I mean, you can change, you can tweak personnel. I mean, what was the first thing Spurs did was they tried to play out through Vicario in the second half. I mean, you know, through Vicario, didn't work, and he and he made the save. But you know, that was clear they weren't going to change how they were going to play, even if they did make uh, that tweak in personnel. It did change. It did change. It did change the balance of the team, Charlie. I'll, I, I, I hear what I hear what you're saying. No, no, no. Of course they did, but they, it's not like they brought Hoiberg on there like, right, batten down the hatches, let, let's try let's try and win tackles and play that way. They still played in basically the same way. They just had more of a base to do it, which is great. Ange will have not been delighted with the fact that I think Spurs turned the ball over in their defensive third 12 times. Yeah, wasn't it the most that City, I think City have managed to do in a long, long time? And one of their goals came from it. Probably won't win a lot of games doing that, but, uh, you know... 
it was it was delightful to see them keep having a go. And I got totally encouraged, totally encouraged by the fact that he made a tweak that changed it for the better. That's what you're asking of people. I know you can't read too much into passing statistics, but I don't think it was quite telling that Hoiberg passed the ball. I think it was nearly three times as many time three times as many times as Kulusevski did in the first half in the second half. And for all you know, people I'm sure will be shouting at their uh, audio devices saying they're all plodding sideways passes, and that is almost certainly definitely true. But those plodding sideways passes actually allowed Spurs to take the game uh, the sting out of the game a little bit and allowed them to get that foothold that allowed them to move players up the pitch and attack with a little bit more purpose, perhaps. Giovanni Lacelso, before he got substitutes, had played had played forty passes with a one hundred percent accuracy rate. Not one misplaced pass, but they weren't they weren't all looking to find the, the centre forward, were they? They you know you, you have to move the ball around. The trick is with Spurs is to move it at, sp- at speed. And if Postecoglou would have been disappointed about anything in that first half, it would be that they kept slowing themselves down. Yeah, well, he talks about after they didn't have enough conviction and belief in what they were doing. I say on Hill though as well, as much as taking him off at half time made sense his contribution for the first goal is totally. amazing totally and and it's exactly the kind of thing and skip does so well as well for the third goal it's exactly the kind of thing that basuma does but gets wrong and then it's kind of naivety but that's how spurs got their goals as well is by doing that like that is how they're going to play we talked about it a million times risk and reward but hill it's really really good from hill i think it's the best thing he's ever done for spurs it under that kind of pressure to lose to lose he's so deep he loses foden and then plays a great pass like i think cuz kudusevsky will get the assist but actually and then makes the run charlie which which causes them to have to engage one of their defenders so he, yeah. he, he didn't stand and admire his pass he kept going as well and if you watch the, the movement, he, he affects the, the the positioning of the Manchester City defenders. So no, no, I was at nothing personal against Hill on this occasion um, about him getting substituted. It's just it was, it was for the good of the team, which is all you can ever ask of the players and the manager. That said, on Hill, I would say as well in the first half, Spurs worked the ball really well a few times, and you just and again talking about like once Postecoglou has the team he wants, once he's got a left winger who really backs himself to take players on, you know, in the way that someone if he had someone like Doku. They, they worked the space really well, but then it was Hill against Carl Walker and you just think in a one-on-one, Walker's just going to win that. So again, it was evidence of there's just so much there you, you see and you're like, yeah, once this is his team, they they could really, really explode. Can we also talk about the risk and reward of Ben Davis's diving header on the halfway line for the second goal? Because if, if, if that had gone to a City player and he was suddenly on his ass on the halfway line with Erling Haaland completely unmarked, it, it would have looked like completely comical and I'm sure... Gary Neville, Jamie Carragher, Roy Keane would have torn him to pieces. But the fact is that header went to Son, who then squared it for the Celso to score the second goal. Those moments, I, I reckon, are the reality behind Haaland's massive kind of breakdown at the end of the game. He's incredibly close to skip for the third goal that you mentioned, Charlie, um, and doesn't really engage him at all. He's there beating to the ball by Davis on the second goal. And obviously, he's missed two chances in the first half, two very good chances in the first half. So you kind of see why maybe he's... Uh, he should be looking inwards rather than at the referee. Yeah, I mean, I thought under the, under the new directives, he could have picked up at least two yellow cards for his various, you know, bits of petulance. I mean, those directives, obviously, they've been forgotten about. But Have you seen the video of Lo Celso, like, leaning into him as he's walking yeah. off the pitch? So good. Also, I was thinking, like, how often have we talked about in the last few years fringe players getting their chance and not taking it? The last few weeks it has been, you know, someone like Lo Celso, We've been crying out for him to do something like this, more or less since he joined. 
And likewise, you know, you see Ben Davis coming in and just being, I mean, Ben Davis is normally very reliable, but, you know, he's doing it in a position that he doesn't normally play. Royale, I think, has taken his chance. Hill made an important contribution for the first goal. Like, we've been wanting to see this. And Poster Cogley talked about this on Friday about how all the injuries has meant he's been able to see players uh, that he wouldn't have been able to see and ask them to do jobs they wouldn't have had to do. Otherwise, Kulisevsky as well coming in and playing in that eight role and doing it really well. Players have stepped up. It's so interesting how the result affects um, you, you say that. If we'd been talking about a fourth straight defeat, we'd have had a different story. But, that, but of course we aren't. So We would, but but even with that, like I, I was saying to James, had they lost, I wanted to, depending on how it played out, but one of the ideas I had was say like, yes, the muscle memory, the knee-jerk reaction to say it's a crisis, but I don't think it would have been necessarily, even if they had lost a fourth game. Because City, I mean, look at the players City were bringing on, you know, what what were the, the attacking and in inverted commas changes Spurs were able to make was skip Hoybier, a Richarlison who we were told before could do five or ten minutes, and Jamie Donnelly, an academy kid, making his first game. Meanwhile, City can chuck on a hundred million pound player for Doku after fifty minutes. I mean, I tweeted saying, "Can Spurs have Doku for the rest of the game?" I mean, what a waste it is. They've got the the talent they have on the bench, and Spurs could barely cobble a subs bench together. So I think even if they had lost. I, I, I honestly don't think any... Yes, externally, there would have been people trying to bait Spurs and saying like, ooh, four games, we've got to talk about Ange, haven't we? But re- I don't think anyone internally would have thought that, you know, even if they had lost. You know, that that's just the nature of the, of the media now where we're literally goal by goal, we have to discuss the philosophy of, of the team's managers and all the rest of it. And, you know, you could argue... Manchester City will be should be discussing how they're conceding so many goals, particularly at home. You're right about results because last week actually Spurs were unlucky against Villa. They were the ones who created loads of ch- yep. unlucky. However you want to describe it, you know this was an th- this was another game. City's expected goals was two point five seven. Spurs's were zero point four six. Clearly, Spurs City should have won that game. I'm sure on City podcast they're saying how on earth in the first half did we only go in two one up? It's the sort of Spurs curse happening again, and they're not wrong. And on another day they could easily have won this game three or four one. And I don't think you know it would have been a, a travesty of justice. But they didn't, and last week Spurs didn't get the result maybe they should have done. And of course, results inform how we perceive it. But I do think last week was encouraged. That's why a lot of us were encouraged by last week, because even though they did lose the game, they created a stack of chances with, with a really depleted side. What about Lo Celso? I mean, I suppose they've not got the best out of this lad so far, have they? And it was good to see him having a decent pair of games there, James. Yeah, I mean, I think if you if you look back through the what four and a bit years he's played for Spurs, I don't know how many times. I mean, I think that was his third Premier League goal. Is that right? Yeah, and two two of them have come against Manchester City. Yeah, I don't think there can have been too many times where he had two like good games in a row. I know we've talked before about like the spell in early twenty twenty where uh, there were all those injuries that we talked about last week. Uh, and he kind of stepped up and looked like one of the better players in the team, but certainly not since then. Hasn't felt like he's made like a sort of tangible impact on the team in two games in a row. Maybe not even, maybe not even one. It, it, it's still tough to know. I think uh, we've got carried away on the basis of kind of flashes of brilliance before with players. And I know you were both kind of praising Brian Hill for his involvement in that first goal, but I, I found his performance overall quite frustrating. And, you know, he's he's another player who we kind of looked at a couple of times, you know, with the Palace game last season when he did incredibly well and said, is this going to be his moment? And then sure enough, in his case, he was out on loan again within like sort of three weeks of us saying that. 
So I think it was actually Jack Pitbrook who wrote that piece after the game, just to throw him under the bus slightly. So I'd kind of be loath to get too carried away about Lo Celso, just because I kind of think we've been here before, both with him and other players. It does feel, you know, he's played very well against a very good city, a uh, very good Villa team, and then well again against, obviously, the European champions away from home in a game where we expected Spurs to be completely overrun. So I guess in terms of evidence that he can be a part of this Spurs project going forwards, that's that's pretty strong. But I don't know, I, you know, once Madison and Benton are back, you know, and if Saar, Basuma are both fit as well, I, I, he's not going to get much game time, is he? But I think I think it's just about staying fit as well for him. Like that's he's so rarely been able to do that. Um, and if he can do that, then you, if Spurs are in Europe, then he doesn't need to be starting every game. But you can ha- you can be a really important squad player and you know get like thirty appearances or so across the competitions if you're fit. I guess it depends on his personality and his mentality. And if he's the kind of person, the kind of player that will be kind of satisfied with that, then that might be fine. If he's the kind of player who's going to kick up a stink if he's not in a team every week then maybe it's not worth it I don't know I don't, I don't know yeah I think the main thing that would be an issue of him would be if, if not playing for Spurs meant he wasn't getting called up for Argentina but it feels like you know even when he's been really out of form and out of favour at Spurs he's still so well thought of by people like Messi that I feel as long as he's playing for the national squad then you know I, I don't think he'd have a massive motivation to leave assuming he's playing a bit obviously if he's not playing at all um but yeah, he he does need to now just stay fit for a little bit and put a proper run together. Because yeah, certainly not since that January to March 2020 have we seen that. I want to talk about a Spurs player who played. Uh, I mean, I still want to get into the two two of the three forward players. I thought they all did okay, but two of them were particularly good. Um, we we'd be wrong not to ignore the fact that uh, Eve Basuma's um, performance um, continues a, a drop off from where he started the season. Um, some of this, I think, is is a is a you know being slightly isolated in that position, but he was he was the downside I thought for Spurs Charlie uh, on the, on the day, trying to do the things he's been asked to do against a team that are just not having it by and large. Yeah, you've got to be so good to do what he's asked to do, and for the first bit of the season up until Luton, he was doing that. I mean. And then, I mean, it's a bit like being a goalkeeper when you're when you're tasked with playing out the back. Whenever you do make a mistake, it really looks bad because it's in such a dangerous area of the pitch. And sure enough, it's him who gives the ball away for what looked like for what could have been the City winner. And it wasn't the only time he did that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's that he he lost his rhythm with that with those two suspensions, and he's just sort of taking a bit of time to get it back, but. The other thing as well, obviously pretty big mitigating circumstances in that he was playing with Romero and van der Ven. Uh, his last two appearances, he's played with neither of them. Um, and, you know, Romero's back on uh, Thursday against West Ham, which is obviously massive. And I do wonder if you might see a slightly more secure um, Basuma as a result. You certainly hope so, because that is, it's just such an important position for them. And once teams... Sort of emboldened to go and really get at him as City did, and you know, and Rodri is one of the best in the world at doing that. Um, it did become an issue for them, but again, you know, I, I don't think many Spurs fans were saying, you know, stop giving him the ball, stop trying things. I think they're saying, can you execute a bit better rather rather than you know toss out the game plan? I mean, two things I'd say, kind of in further mitigation for Basuma would be one, 
I mean, you mentioned the centre-backs changing, Charlie, but the midfield around him or ahead of him has kind of like chopped and changed quite a lot in that last sort of six weeks as well. And two, the two suspensions, uh, the two international breaks over that time period, he's kind of played, what, like kind of three or four games over like two months, basically. And I wonder whether like a lack of rhythm may kind of be hampering him a little bit as well. So um, maybe by but over this next month, I, I would say if he's still struggling by the turn of the year, then it'd be more of a worry. But I think he's got enough in the enough credit in the bank. I think for now. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. I want to talk about Son from Ming now. Um, the stats tell us that he's just the seventh different player to score 50 home goals, 50 away goals, and 50 assists uh, for a team in the Premier League. A, a stat that I found amazing, James, that Kane hadn't got 50 assists for Spurs. I didn't realise either. I think I'm right in saying Son is also the first player to score away at four different reigning Premier League champions. I was really surprised by that, that like Henri or someone hadn't scored like four goals against Manchester United and Chelsea in that time period or whatever. Uh, that's actually really impressive. Like, that really struck me as being quite impressive that no one else has done that before. One is Leicester, but still, still counts. What, they don't count as champions of England? Scoring a goal at that at this Leicester team where Ranieri was sacked halfway through because they were so bad, of course it counts, but we can all say that that's a very different to scoring against like Pep Guardiola's all-conquering Man City. To be fair, Spurs did score six in that game as well. This is a hard school. I have to say, this is a hard school. But the obvious thing to say about Son um, is that whatever, I mean, I don't know, Charlie, if you have any more details of what this injury he's, he said he was carrying last season, they seem to have fixed it because he appears, and you know, I've, I've been happy to criticise some of his passing, but he appears to have got his pace back. Um, and he devoured Doku for the opening goal. Yeah, that was amazing. That was so good. Like, like... Pa- pa- pace and power. I know that's kind of like reductive terminology. It's so good to see him like hold him off and then just like just completely leave him in the dust. But it was quite funny because Doku. It was like in it doesn't happen so much in football, but it happens in other sports. You see, like in rugby, suddenly a prop forward has got to chase back their own goal, or in cricket, you get a bowler who's having to bat, or in tennis, you'll get someone who's suddenly asked to play a difficult backhand they just can't play Doku who's clearly so quick and strong but defensively was absolutely clueless in that one-on-one like (laughs) if he actually knew what he was doing he would have surely made a better fist of it but he's so he looks completely like I've got no idea what I'm doing here and Son gets by him (laughs) with, with ease I mean it's terrible from him 
And then tell me if I'm wrong, but top of the Christmas tree for me in a, in a Spurs performance that was brave as well. You know, Porro was, uh, you know, occasionally ripped apart by Doku, but kept at it. And I, you know, his his, his devotion to the game is something to see. But Kulusevski, um, let's just bear in mind what he'd done in the course of the 90 minutes. You know, how hard he'd worked, how often he'd used his physicality and his technique to help Spurs around the corner with City's defence. But the goal, he is on the halfway line, just forward of the halfway line, when Brennan Johnson gets the ball and runs, after 91 minutes, runs into the penalty area, which, of course, has two things going for it. One, it's an amazing feat of athleticism at the end of a game. And two, it means that that, uh, Ake has no chance because he's always coming over the top of him. Provided he doesn't foul him, he's always going to score because he's coming at full speed. Amazing, amazing performance, I thought, by Kulisewski. And not the first time in, in the last couple of weeks, just transformed into a slightly different position, into a work machine. Fantastic. Well, I wrote a piece last week on how he had been so good this season and had gone under the radar and how he deserved a big moment. And, you know, when he did, everyone at Spurs would be delighted because all the players love him, all the staff love him because they appreciate how good he is. And there was something quite, this is what I spoke to one of his first coaches and he, something quite prescient. He said, he can cope for 90 minutes and then come up with an important action. Uh, his quality with crosses and finishing always stood out and the fact that he can do it at the end of a game. And yesterday was probably the best example of that. Uh, but we've seen it before. You know, he obviously, he scored the latest winner in a Premier League game ever earlier in the season. Uh, it was his assist for Kane's winner at, in the stoppage time at the Etihad season before last. Uh, and then, I mean, it, it is crazy because he scored three and three visits to the Etihad. Kulusevski, there is something <laughs> that brings out the best in him. Lo Celso, Son, Kulusevski, yeah, they're, they're yeah. all just playing with Manchester City, aren't they? Just toying with them. Can we play you every week? No, thanks. <laughs> he, he he puts such a shift in. Like You know, there's a reason he's been top of the distance cover charts for a lot of this Premier League season. Um yeah, incredible. Like he's just one of those players everyone wants to play with. You want someone like Kulusevski in your team. You know he's selfless. He always puts the yards, in, the hard yards in, and just yeah, really pleased he got that moment. Also because he's been unlucky, he he keeps. I talk about this in the piece. He's so often been overshadowed. So you know he scored the first goal in that four-one home defeat to Chelsea. Who remembers that? I mean, that was the most. I don't think a goal has ever been so overshadowed. Ever. And you think of his previous two visits to the Etihad. He scored the first in that 3-2 win. Who remembers Kudasevsky from that game? It's all about Harry Kane masterclass, getting the two goals. He also scored at the Etihad last season. Who remembers that? Spurs lost 4-2, so it didn't matter. Um, so yeah, just really pleased that for once this time he didn't get overshadowed. We should just say on on the goal, by the way, just shout out to Rich Arlison and to that substitution in general, because if you watch it back, when Johnson has the ball, Rich Arlison moves to the near post and he takes four defenders with him. There are four defenders around Richarlison and that leaves Kulusevski one-on-one with Ake at the back post. And Kulusevski may not be the best header of the ball, but he's very good with his shoulder. Because um, I, I yeah. love the fact that the loop goes in off his shoulder as well. It's all, it's all good. Um, can we end the, the discussion about the match and we'll have a break it after that with, what was Simon Hooper up to um, in the last minute? What <laughs> the hell was that? Anybody want to essay uh, uh, some kind of profile of what he was trying to do there? I mean, I, I can't really fathom that. And, and I do kind of empathise with City fans because that is one of those moments when you're at a game or watching a game where you just can't get your head around what the referee is doing. Like, he's he's 
He's kind of played advantage. He's put the whistle to his mouth and then not blown and then kind of watched the ball be played. And then it's like a kind of slightly awkward ball, but it has actually kind of hit the mark and, and Greenish is obviously for on goal. I mean, you could argue whether or not Davis is going to get back. I mean, I, I think what you really want to happen is for Davis is to completely wipe him out and take the red card in the last minute of the game, right? I think. I don't know whether Ben Davis actually has that in him. I, I had this doubt. This is actually quite annoying. In my mind, I find it really difficult to picture... Jack Grealish scoring one-on-one. But I asked our data guys at The Athletic and apparently he has got a 100% record of scoring one-on-one. So he's, he's, only, he's only had one. To use the phrase, he sits the goalkeeper down that one occasion. I remember it distinctly. The- that was the Liverpool one. Was that in the... Yeah, in that 70. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think he just... Pan- the, the ref, um, he, he does the right thing in, in playing that advantage. But I think often refs, when they do play an advantage, are really quick to blow because they don't want the advantage to go on too long because they know if they do... And then and then City lose the ball. Then they go like, well, why do we not get a free kick? So I think he's just he's trying to avoid that situation, and so he's really keen as soon as he can to blow. I reckon when the the ball goes behind the defender and he thinks the defender has the ball, maybe. Do you think there's a problem? This is so basic. He has the whistle in his mouth already, and that like decreases the time, but like between four and blow. Well, no, I think I think, but I, yeah, I think that feeds into the fact that he's really keen to stop the play as soon as he can. Because I think he what he just doesn't want a situation where he's played an advantage that comes to nothing for City. I still think there is there's a lot that needs to happen. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. I I mean, despite having that unhelpful data, I'm not convinced Grealish would have scored. Whether or not he would have then like teed someone else up or whatever, fine. But I don't think it's not like the Liverpool one where it's a goal. It's been like shot off completely wrongly. Oh, it's nothing like that. I mean, it's nothing like that. Uh, you know, I'm sure there, there are lots of data heads who can map out, you know, the, the percentage chance of him scoring that. But I, yeah, it's it's just classic as well, because obviously then it becomes the sort of, you know, the the commentary on the match of the day commentary inevitably was, you know, this will be debated and debated and debated and it's the first question and it's a big talking point. I, I get that, but I just, may, maybe I'm seeing this from a very Spurs perspective, but I didn't feel... Like, we have enough games that are overshadowed by VAR and officiating. I didn't think we had to kind of make this another of them. And I feel like some people in not necessarily in good faith were kind of, another, another game dominated by officiating. It's like, it just wasn't. Also, if, if that had happened at any other point in the game, and I appreciate why it's different, but if that had happened at any other point in the game, it wouldn't be a thing at all. Like, if it had happened with City 2-1 up in the first half, you know, and I know, you know, it happening right at the end of the game when City are desperate for a goal makes it different, but no one would be talking about it. So City wouldn't have reacted like that if it had happened at 2-1. If Emerson Royal, if you're going to do a tactical foul, get him on the ground, Emerson. I know he's a big, I know he's a big old lump and strong as an ox, but get him down properly if you're going to do that, you know? <laughs> what I also liked about it was it was a rare uh, refereeing mistake where VAR were powerless. Because obviously <laughs> there's nothing they could do, and like it was one of like I was just imagining we're pro- probably the way football's going in ten years. What they would have done is, all oh, right, everyone stop, go back to where you were. Like, <laughs> I, I remember at like primary school, occasionally we try and do that because someone would come from another pitch and boot the ball away. But like, no, I was about to score. Can I have the ball back? Right, er- okay, Emerson, you were there, I think. No, no, no. Okay, no, no, no. Bit five yards. Okay, yep. Yeah, blow the whistle. Go. Like when the snooker referee has to get the ball in exactly the right position. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a miss and a foul and all that stuff or whatever it is they say. Yeah. 
With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Deep breath after that game against Manchester City. Um, but of course, we are never allowed to rest because Gio Wrightson, um, many of you got in touch over various issues on Twitter. He wants to know, this is an incredibly difficult question, Gio. Um, we could probably do a whole podcast on it. What is Spurs' first choice midfield when everyone's fit? I would go, I would say, and, and I don't expect much derivation from this actually, Bissouma, Deep, Bentinker and Madison. Like, like I think what we saw of Ben Tinker against Villa was enough of a reminder that he is head and shoulders above Saar. And I know there was some conversation about whether or not that was the case earlier in the season, but uh, I think that is quite straightforward, actually. I, I agree. And I think and I think Saar's a great option then to have to bring on after 60 minutes of this yeah. hypothetical game. But yeah, I mean, imagine having choice. You know, for, for, for the last few weeks, it's just what been like, who's available? Let's, you know, ring around your mates, get a team out. So yeah, it'd be nice to have options. Should we say? Can we say by the way, uh, Harry Winks doing great for Leicester and really, really pleased for him. Yeah, totally. But, you know, for, for for a much maligned uh, player, uh, yeah, nice to see that working out. Hopefully, he'll be back in the Premier League next season. So, Geo, that question, which looked like an absolutely difficult one to answer, I, I couldn't disagree with the lads. I suppose it would be Basuma because we know he's a really good footballer, despite um, stuttering performances of recent weeks. Um, Benton Kerr, who combines the technique that allows him to get out of tight spaces with running power. Um, and Madison, you know, we knew we were going to miss him. Boy, have they been missing him, you know. So that that would be a pretty extraordinary-looking midfield. And if you think that Benton Kerr um, would be the sort of fifth most attacking player on the pitch, that, you know, and and that's without the Spurs fullback suddenly appearing on the penalty spot. Well, what, what fun it will be and what excitement it will be, Gio, when the time comes. Um, in the meanwhile, though, Spurs have still got to try and keep themselves in contention for fourth, fifth, top, whatever it is they're, they're trying to do, because um, the games keep on coming without uh, a lot of their best players. Two home games coming up next, which is an opportunity, but they're both against teams that are a problem in different ways. Newcastle will come, um, uh, they seem to be in supernatural form at the moment, they're, they're just very good, they can you know, putting teenagers into their midfield and still keep doing it. Um, Charlie, you know better than me. Is it when's the Champions? When's their critical Champions League game? Is it the, the week after the, we play them? Yeah, so it'll be the Wednesday night after Sunday. So they are in the middle of a real, a, you know, a, a tough run of games, and they've, you know, they can rival Spurs for unavailabilities, and they've just lost their goalkeeper. So 
Yeah, not the worst time to be playing them with all those injuries. And as you say, three days before. The shadow of that huge game coming down the coming down the pike here. Yeah. I mean, a game, by the way, on that fourth, fifth, I mean, it might be, seem straight, it might seem kind of um counterintuitive, but I think Spurs fans should be rooting for Newcastle and and Manchester United next week for the sort of sake of that coefficient, which as I say, it feels unnatural because it's been very funny watching Manchester United, especially in Europe. But and then, but before Newcastle, we've got West Ham and um, Lanzini. Lanzini keeps coming into my mind because um, West Ham have found ways to beat Spurs in recent times. And draw with them, improbably. David Moyes won't want the game to be chaos and we'll want the game to be, you know, lots and lots of Spurs bearing down on West Ham's goal, won't we? It does feel a bit, yeah, like this is... Spurs coming back up for air after some really hard games and not not that they'll have lots of players back for it, but... Josh Romero, you think? I mean, uh, is Saar, where is Saar at? Saar maybe could be back for Newcastle, but still too early to say. It sounded like he's unlikely to be back for uh, West Ham at this point. So yeah, Romero will be back and that that is huge. Against a team who are very good at set pieces. That is quite a big deal to have a proper centre-back playing again. Well, it'll be the second successive game, which Spurs will definitely be out-heighted in the course of the game, won't they? Um, West Ham have got some great big players as well. Um, so if Romero plays, who plays next to him? Davis? Yeah. You want that left that left footer for a bit for a bit of balance. But yeah, you know, then they'll have Royale as a sut, which is, you know, nice to ha- know you've got someone who can play basically in any of the back four positions, should they have the misfortune of another injury also Udogi now is only one booking away from a suspension and that kind of feels like a matter of time so it probably won't be long before Real's starting games again West Ham are a good team aren't they let's not kid ourselves it should be a, it should be a belting game I mean I watched their game yesterday and they weren't massively convincing for the most part and so I'm kind of reading some bits and bobs uh, it doesn't sound like they've been hugely convincing too often this season and I mean no Mikel Antonio either which he quite often has been I mean he's certainly up there with Lanzini in terms of being the kind of fawn in Spurs side over the last few years you'd have to think of at least a few goals he scored against us so that's probably not a bad thing either Thank you Charlie thank you James thank you all as I say for listening Um, my regular reminder uh, that our official home on Twitter is at VFTL podcast and you can definitely use old fashioned email get in touch with us uh, vftl at theathletic.com is the address there um, Charlie James and their colleagues continue to provide the best Spurs coverage and the most in-depth Spurs coverage you can get anywhere so you make sure to just sign up to The Athletic take advantage of our latest offer it's just $1.99 a month for 12 solid months just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod to subscribe it's been a joy everyone see you next time The Athletic.